Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. What's going on, everyone? everything we don't know your deal uh it's going off track i am steven joined by brad Jonah. see i want to see what happens simultaneously it's pretty amazing and nice vibrato Jonah. that was pretty <laughs> good you. <laughs> did you do backing vocals for united nations never have done vocals for united nations any band uh my band in college mumra oh yeah um i did vocals mumra. on a couple songs i recently uh Found our our CD, so I can play it for you. Which we'll be putting out, out on our. It sounds like a mix between the Get Up Kids and Hot Water Music. It sounds like Fat Mike singing for an emo band. Sort I like of. it. Yeah, it's actually surprisingly good. You know how like you look back on your old bands and you're like, ugh, we suck. Yes. I listened to it. I was like, <laughs> I don't think I can even play some of this stuff now. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, I mean, if I practiced, I could. But right. I was like, this is like. You were trying to play. Yeah, like I like practiced, I like cared about it I, more, and now it's just did like... did it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to some of this shit I used to be able to play, and like, it's like, I tracked that? I couldn't play that now? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no totally. way. <laughs> it's kind of cool, and, and also when you're younger and you're thinking, you're like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. I listened to our record <laughs> we just recorded, and I'm like, I don't... How did I play this like a month ago? <laughs> I was just, like, it was like a different person. I don't remember <laughs> any of it. I'm like, this sounds really hard. Maybe it wasn't you. No, it was definitely me. <laughs> it was definitely me. I record nothing. Haven't touched drums in forever. That's not true. I banged on a set a little while ago. Uh, speaking of playing music in Northern Virginia, uh, Sarab and Alexis uh, will be talking to us shortly. Um, Sarab was, they're both in the obits right now. Uh, Alexis plays drums, Sarab plays guitar, and Sarab was in Edsel. And uh, Alexis was in Girls Against Boys. Yeah, pretty cool. Which is very interesting because that meant... We had the makings of a soundtrack reunion party right here because Girls Against Boys and the Goops were all on the Mallrats soundtrack together. Yeah. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Take Who else back. was on that soundtrack? <clears throat> I don't even remember. Squirt Gun. Really? Really? Yeah, Squirt Gun, Elastica, Archers of Loaf. Oh, yeah, Elastica. <clears throat> um a lot of folks on there. All, so all was on that indie. soundtrack. Yeah, I, I remember it all. Was it was, there. it was, it just, it was dripping with the nineties. <laughs> I did it. You know, I did some Sublime dates. Sublime was on that fucking with soundtrack. All. Actually, we did some okay. dates with all in the Goops, but also uh, in Clowns, we did a bunch really? of shows with, with all. That yeah. must have been fun. Yeah, that was really fun. No matter how good you are as a musician, and then you watch all play, how do you feel? Yeah, they're pretty amazing. That was the <laughs> panel truck thing. Remember, I was talking about the panel trucks. They had the yeah. panel trucks. Yeah, they were pretty cool. I can only imagine like watching that band like every night. Yeah, I, play. I think we yeah. played like a week with them. Who's the singer? Was it we Chad with them? Yeah, Chad and Ryan. Good band, good stuff. Um, Obits, amazing. I saw them for the first time at South by Southwest after having listened to them for a while, which was super fun to see. And I think I've seen God almost every incarnation of Rick's bands, except for Pitchfork. 
Yeah, Pitchfork would be cool to see. Yeah, have it. Listen to it. Never saw it. Saw Jehu. So, and I can't remember if I saw Girls Against Boys or Edsel. I don't know. I wasn't very active in the Northern Virginia scene when I was a youth, but I saw enough shows to be like, oh yeah, I was there. And then enough to read about them years later where people go, that was monumental to go. There's nobody there. It wasn't really that <laughs> big a deal. It was Fugazi. I mean, yeah, but they played all the time. That kind of thing. But I found them delightful. <laughs> Heard good things about that Fugazi band. Yeah. And the Obits. And the Obits also. Bunch great of band. I've seen I've seen them a lot. They're great. Tons of fun. Listen to them talk. Did you know that yesterday was National Blasphemy Day? No, I did not know that. National well, Blasphemy shit. Day? Or maybe it's International Blasphemy Day. I was going to say. <laughs> you were allowed to blaspheme to your heart's content really? yesterday. But not today. It's over. See, that's weird because if it's it's the First Amendment in this country, you can blaspheme every day. But they're like, you know, we're going to give you a special day just in case. <laughs> wow. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. This one's for the kids. Oh, and the kids who are like, well, what can you do? It's <laughs> Blasphemy Day. My children say, God damn it, with relish. All the time. And uh, then I always get a glance at my wife who's like, seriously? And I'm like, you, you swear more than anyone I've ever met in my life. And Jonah can attest to that. That is true. Yeah. Not my fault. Who's with us today? Today I'm going off track. We are Joan Baez. Joan Baez. Uh, Joan Baez is here. <laughs> Every time I do this, I, love I, it. I mess up not the people's names, but leading into the right. thing. Okay. I grew up listening to you, Joan. <laughs> How's Bob Dylan treating you? It's complicated. Uh, today on Going Off Track, we are joined by Sorab and Alexis from Obits. Hi. Welcome. Hey. I saw you at South by Southwest in, in 010. Is that pre Alexis? That's pre Alexis. Is that pre? No, Damn. So. But you, you were in Girls Against Boys also. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when did you join Obits? Uh, two and a half years ago. Why did you? Just- <laughs> <laughs> two and a half years ago. And why? Um, well, their old drummer Scott uh, decided that um, m- mysteriously that he didn't want to do it anymore. It seemed like a pretty good place to be. Um, but I think he was he wanted to do other things, and so he quit. And there was a vacuum, which sucked me in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my band used to practice uh, over on Kent and like North Fourteenth or something. Uh-huh. Or, where you yeah, we used to practice over there, over near uh, Greenpoint Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I feel like I used to, we used to just like stop playing sometimes when you guys were playing and just really? listen. And yeah, be like that sucks. No, no, <laughs> be like these guys never make any mistakes. <laughs> we, that place it had a heating like pipe through it, so it was always about 110 degrees in that room. That's what they're trying to recreate in here for you right now. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. um, but we but thank you, very nice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, and let's talk about the Bottomless Pit record. It's a great record. Um, it's a great record. I'm obsessed with it. I don't understand why everyone isn't. And you wrote the kind of bio thing. Yeah, I mean, I've known uh, Tim uh, and Andy for a long time because uh, the old band that I was in, Edsel, did a bunch of tours with uh, Silkworm. And uh, John, who runs Comedy Minus One, who's putting out the Bottomless Pit record, or just did, I guess it's out now. Um, they were trying to figure out what to say about it. And John just wrote me and said, you know, I, I know you like the band. Would you be into writing something? I'll give you a free copy. And <clears throat> nothing quite gets me like a free copy. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I just, I listened to it a bunch. And uh, I think, I mean, I think it's a really pretty, pretty amazing record. Um, you should see his liner notes for a Miley Cyrus record. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, free, that was free. Just, <laughs> you know, I got a free dumb. Miley <laughs> equals punk. Period. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think they're they're a really neat band, and I, I think if you know their history, it's it's even more interesting. But I don't think you have to. I think it's just a standalone solid piece of rock and roll music. I wish they would come here more. But last time I saw them was with Obits. Oh yeah, yeah. We did a tour with them last. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. And and my other band Bellini has played with them. Oh yeah, a lot. They're they're super nice guys. They've and, had they've had a very tough uh, time, um, and they're uh, but they're also super nice guys. And they have uh, they have um, very strong jobs. So I think the band thing is is not their main uh, concern. Yes. Yeah. What what about you guys? Do you guys do stuff outside the band? Yeah, sure. What are you doing? Uh, I play in, I play in a bunch of different bands. I play in this band called Bellini, another band called Paramount Styles, and uh, and I also Boys Boys. and Girls Against Boys, and I also do uh, a lot of um, design work and videos now. <laughs> what kind He's of videos? These are in house video uh, music, guys. Music, yeah. music videos. Oh yeah, yeah. Where do those get played? Uh, on the, they get played on the, the, the internet. Oh, yeah. I've heard of you watch it on your phone. Yeah. What? Yeah. Steven, no. Steven used to host a video, video music show on, oh, really? on, on the fuse. internet. On the fuse. Yeah. Oh, on, oh, on the TV box. Yes. On the yeah. TV box. Oh, yeah. On, on some TV box. It was on some, at the, at the time it was, um, this, uh, what was it called? Digital cable. I believe it's was. Oh, I, yeah. I dig that. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty good. It was in several homes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just looking at some footage from 120 Minutes that we played, and it made me laugh because that was funny when they used to do do that. There was like a show about bands. What was it? What was it like? Was that? Did, <laughs> it's just funny. Did it feel like high budget and like like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely low budget of high budget. Yeah. Were you, were like you interviewed really, on the show? Yeah. Who was who hosted it? Matt Penfield. Matt, yep. Yeah. We've had Matt in here. Matt's a good dude. Yeah. So wait, so he interviewed you guys, and then like you rocked out live on the set. We, we actually rocked out like we would do each song like four times. We did two songs, then we would rock out, and then bands <laughs> would come on and make fun of us. Really? Yeah, they'd be like this. I remember uh, Greg Dolly would make fun of uh, any band with "super" in the name in the name of a song, and we we got we we got caught up in that. You <laughs> <laughs> got to do it a couple times. Wow, that's good. You had time. Yeah. I know. You know, it it just makes me laugh that they used to do that. That used to be a big deal, and it's just not anymore. It's a trap, though. (laughs) I've I've seen bands stop and start because they'll take advantage and go, "Oh, we we screwed up. Can we do it again? Nope. Let's give it one more time. One more time." And you're like, "Okay, now we're we're paying union guys, dude. (laughs) Calm down, guys. This is not (laughs) cool. Dark stage. (laughs) It's cool that you've been like, you know, bands that that have." I want to say weathered the storm but reach that peak of longevity where it's you know you have the extremes of super you know the, the giant bands of which there's not too many the newer bands coming up and then the guys who've discovered okay i can make a living doing this and still do cool shit that i like you know and spread it about are you playing drums in all the bands that you're in yeah oh wow yeah but i should learn a different trade I think. <laughs> no they always need drummers like writing lyrics or something. <laughs> <laughs> what drummer writes ly- oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Night Ranger? <laughs> oh, Rush. Uh, oh, right. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Did a good job of that for a little while. For a little bit. <laughs> That's true. Then he was like, wait, what? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Sarah, what's your what's your story? Um, well, mostly I do uh, commercial music. So, uh this friend of ours, Michael, who's also another DC uh expat, he and I do stuff for movies and TV and uh recently our most steady client is actually a clothing company oh yeah which as you can tell from my high fashion makes a lot of sense 
<laughs> it's it's the leather that I like most. Yeah, I know. It's uh, you know, it's, it kind of does. Most something. people, the, yeah, the, the the sparkles thing doesn't work, but it really works for you. Yeah, yeah. highlights my. But dazzling really <laughs> needs to be featured more. <laughs> Podcasts just don't capture it. <laughs> uh, no, so I, I I do that. So um, and it's fun because it's uh, it's playing music, which which I, I like, and it almost always involves music that I would not ordinarily listen to or make otherwise um and so it's a cool challenge it ends up becoming this kind of a audio crossword puzzle listening to something and then trying to figure out how to somehow approximate it while still keeping it interesting to my friend michael and me and then you have to like deal with the client notes and things back and forth we're actually pretty lucky we've only had a couple of times uh and here's a free tip for anybody who does music for commercial when they say they want it more exciting just put a kick drum throughout the entire thing. What? That's you just it. don't test. You that's, it, that's that, it, man. man. That's your that, yeah. No, not, not you just gave away every secret yeah, Alexis yeah, has. Yeah. Everything. Thanks. Four on the floor. No, no. It's 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 a. Uh, we've been pretty lucky. I mean, we've had a couple of revisions, but for the most part, I think it's pretty low stakes. So. I recently was on the other side, like I'm doing a web series and we commissioned somebody to do music and I was trying to describe what I wanted and I was like, ugh, I hate my, I was like, I want to sort of rock, but like not too much. And I was like, I was like someone gave me these instructions. Back, I would be like, like yeah. jumpy. Can you yeah. punch, punch it up a little bit? Make it a little bit more, you know. Make the logo. Oh, that's too much. Everything is that moment in Boogie Nights. Can we just turn up a few octaves? Yeah. Just a few octaves. Yeah. Can you just go ahead and do it? Oh, man. And Sarah, you helped me buy underwear. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm also an, uh, a uh, an undergarment uh, uh, concierge. When I was uh, f- Alexis and I need this statement to be unpacked. <laughs> we yeah. were emailing before I was going to Asia. I yeah, don't I appreciate I... the innuendo. Right now. <laughs> no, no, yeah, you're traveling, and uh, I suggested a particular kind of travel undergarment. Yes, oh. and I got it, and it worked out. Fantastic. Is this a washable undergarment? Yes, it is. I've n- I've yet to try that. Uh, the Mormons wear this. <laughs> Oh, it protects you from fire, bullets, and death. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And you get it after doing your, um, what's it called? Tithing? Tithing. Yes, after you tithe. <laughs> I'm sorry. Although, I'm I'm back t- although I back tithing. <laughs> I used to try to tithe myself every, every month, and sometimes there's just so much blood. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing it incorrectly. Um, so one thing I, I love about Obits is sort of... Every time I see you guys, it sounds so good. Like all the tones, like everything just sounds so kind of well orchestrated and kind of tight. I mean, I know you guys have been playing music for a long time, but do you kind of take pride in that? Do you spend a lot of time kind of on those sounds or is it kind of second nature to you at this point? Like, how do you kind of maintain that, I guess? Um, Rick is really uh, into the specifics of like how his guitar sounds. Um, I'll be honest, I never really thought about it very much uh and i don't really think about it too much still it's just sort of i try to get a a basic sound that i like that works for me and uh i i I know that rick tries to do the least amount uh, of sort of um put the the fewest number of things between his guitar and his amplifier um and so i think the means that those core components are really integral to his sound which uh, is understandable for me. I, uh, I try to make it a little bit more flexible because I, I like to. Um, I don't know. I don't like to twiddle with stuff, but I, I like to have some options for um, space. Uh, I don't know. 
reverb and delay and things things which can create like nuances like textural things alexis wake up i'm with you Sorry. I'm there. Sorry. <laughs> textual, man. Textual. <laughs> I remember I, I heard this is a really totally boring story, but I remember someone was really, really annoyed when their music was called it's so textural. And they were like, what does that even mean? And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. Text, it's textural. Right? Fabric-y. Is that not a valid description of something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to, to talk about the sound specifically. I mean, it'll almost be easier to give an example, but uh, I mean, an audio example. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I like, I like, to have a little bit of room to to maneuver because I sort of feel like Rick's guitar is really direct and it has a very particular point of view, and so I feel like the role of my guitar is to to find a a, a counter voice to that or you know like a supportive role or a uh, so there's some sort of like musical dialogue and then I think for Alexis and Greg I mean the nice thing is like they're pretty exceptional musicians so it actually creates this center point that is. Uh, you know that, that Rick and I can kind of work around, which which musically is a lot of a lot of fun. Now I've Dextral. always been curious about you know when you when you work so much on the sound in recording and then have to replicate that live. Um, this might be a complete. It's actually the other way around, to be honest with you. Hmm. Recording is much harder for a band like That's us. What I'm, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I'm saying. So then you so it's really hard to set up that, and then when you want to recreate that live, I mean. Does that obviously go down to even the tuning of the drums so that every, you know, show has to be fit to the, where the album was recorded or is it just kind of I like... I I'm, I'm a little... Um, uh, for me, it seems like the hardest part is getting the sounds we want and then recording them is not that hard because we generally... Well, maybe, you know, I don't record them, so I'll speak for the engineer, but it seems like what we really want to do is, is capture the way that we've, we've written and made the songs. So so playing them live is is natural because that's the way we... You know, we wrote them, and and I think that we want the record to capture as closely as possible to the way that we the way that we play them, which I think is I think we we do to yeah. I think uh, I mean, for example, each of us has a microphone right now, and the difference between talking to the mic here versus here versus here versus here makes a huge difference. It doesn't actually change what we're saying, but so Rob did a full backbend right there just to let everyone know. <laughs> but you know, it changes, it changes. The, really. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that was for the, for the leather. Uh, <laughs> but it changes the way that a person hearing the recording perceives the, their, their experience, the conversation. So I think the, the recording part is actually the much harder part. The live part is really the nature of our band. Um, and I think, we've been lucky to work with friends who are really great engineers who understand our music and get like, okay, so we're going to mic the drum kit, you know, a certain way, or, you know, to get your guitar sound, we're going to use a certain kind of microphone or, you know, or for Rick's voice, trying to figure out what mic suits his voice the best. Cause you know, everybody has a different dynamic range trying to get mm-hmm. a certain thing across. And uh, so that's, that's actually the more challenging part is, is, is the recording, the live part, oh, wow. you know, where I, though I will say, we don't have a live sound engineer, and that's something that at some point I think would be great to to have because it means that every night, like tomorrow, we're starting a tour. Every night we go out, and it's a total stranger who is interpreting our sound for the people who are there to see us that night. And so you don't bring a front of house guy with you? No, no. Cuts down the overhead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. we would take someone if they would work for free. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and so sell if, T-shirts if and you, drive a little bit and not drink when you're driving. So if you want to be the obits intern, please <laughs> yeah, write yeah. care of poor. <laughs> yeah. And they make laws against those gun internships. <laughs> Servitude. Uh, 
That's fascinating. I didn't even think about that. Like just putting your trust in, I mean, I'm sure so many bands do it, but. You well, you know, know it, it's, it's a weird thing because sometimes, most of the time it works out just fine. Um, particularly because our setup is really simple. You know, there's nothing, we don't have keyboards. We don't have auxiliary percussion dudes. You know, there, there's no sort of stuff in the mix that isn't exactly what you're seeing. So we can actually go in and whether the guy is like usually a guy, sometimes a woman, but usually a guy is like an eighties metal dude. Uh, and you can just be like, Hey man, this is real basic rock and roll, two guitars, bass drums. He's like, okay. Or whether it's, you know, like a, like, a, you know, somebody who's more into, you know, I don't know, modern music, whatever it is. <laughs> it, it's just, it's really easy to to just say like what you see is what we'd like to, what we'd like it to sound like. Um, if the and, guy's wearing a King Crimson shirt, then you're like, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, sometimes, honestly, it's like, you know, they want to put like weird stuff on the vocals. They want to, you know, they want to sort of enhance it to suit their version of what they think it should be. And that's a, that's a really weird thing because, you know, it means that we have to take this kind of unpleasant corrective role where you have to be like, Hey man, please don't make the kick drum sound like a metal kick drum. You know, it's like, and it's something we have to actively say like less, less kick, more boom, you know? And, uh, so I don't know at some point. Yeah. It's funny when you, when you don't take someone out, it's kind of a, it's also a crapshoot because you have, uh, sometimes like a lot of times the people that work at the clubs, they know the club really well. They know the system really well. So it actually is, you have advantages over bringing your own person because they have to sort of figure out what the hell is going on. Um, but it's, it's just also funny. You, you just, you just don't know. Like a lot of times it's great. Like you'll have really great experiences, but I've like just had an experience where uh, they, this guy was like super pro and super like, you know, pro in that not cool way. And he had a bunch of assistants and I was like, it's fine. Cause he's obviously he's got assistants and this is like a real thing. The sound was so bad. It was shocking how bad it was. And, you know, and then you go to some other club with some guys like, I don't care, you know, and it's just great. It's perfect. Yeah. You know, so you just never know. Or a thing that we run into uh, is that, you know, and our guitars are not incredibly loud. We play with 212 combo amps, but a lot of times there'll be a sound person who will force us to uncomfortably turn our amps down. Um, and, you know, at a certain point it changes the way you're, guitar sounds not just in terms of the volume but in terms of the actual tone of the guitar changes dramatically and uh so we get into these weird sort of like passive aggressive things like like how about if we and rick finally discovered that if he just turns his amp around and faces the wall which looks weird because it means that if you're watching the band you're seeing the back of the guy's amp which is a little disconcerting but it actually sounds totally great and it means that it's not pointing at the sound person which means that they're not freaking out because for them they can't deal with the uh, thing which i never understand because like i swear if you look at any calendar of any rock club i feel like every other night there's like a band with like a full stack and then we show up with our combos and they're like, yeah. can you turn that down <laughs> like, what? This cannot it's happen. not it's not a full stack behind the stack is a pod <laughs> right, exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've all seen the photos we did, uh, we did a, a record with guided by voices once and they turned all their amps to the wall and record and had the mics at the back of the amps. Yeah. And I assume that's because they wanted to sound super, you know, shitty and lo-fi, <laughs> put quote marks around lo-fi. It actually yeah. doesn't um, sound, it doesn't sound crappy out of the back of the amp. It's just yeah. different. It's just did a they different do it sound. to make more room for the cooler of beer? Is that probably. why GDB yeah, does probably. it? Okay. That must've been fun. I love that band. Well, I love Bob. There are many incarnations of that band. <laughs> Were you guys big yeah. fans of Rick's previous band before starting Obits? Alexis? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, the Hot Snakes are great, and Drive Like Joe was really, really cool. Um, 
It's funny because they always seem like, like I come from, we actually both of us, we come from this punk rock, DC punk rock world. And so there's always the DC punk, there's all these scenes, right? So there's the DC punk rock scene, there's the New York punk rock scene, and there's the San Diego punk rock scene. And Rick was sort of part of the San Diego punk rock scene, which, which was very, like they were sort of compatriots of DC. But it was DC also and like, New York was not really. Yeah. But, but New York and uh, DC and San Diego were. But San Diego had a weird rap because bands would get beaten up. If San Diego had a super <laughs> really? like, skinhead issue thing. Yeah. Well, it's, all, it's, all the, it's all the angry surfers. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, all we the so beach today, kids, man. Yeah. <laughs> but what was uh, who, the word so-and-so and we're going to kick your ass? Or what oh, we're crabgrass. We're going to kick your ass. We played a, we played a <laughs> festival, festival, a show in this uh, high school a long time ago with Dag Nasty and crabgrass and uh, a bunch of other, it was just like six punk rock shows and uh, punk rock bands and, and the security was all skinheads. Because that's what the way they figured it out back then was like keep keep the skinheads from beating the crap out of people. We'll put them in charge of security. They use the Altamont. Altamont. I was going to say nobody saw Jimmy Shelter. No one figured that out. <laughs> Did Marty Balance show up and get beat to death? Yeah. Uh, where uh, where in DC? Where are you from? Uh, DC DC. Um, yeah, I'm from, from DC proper. All oh, right. On. Yeah. Wait, I'm, was there more? Did someone get beat up at that show? At the San Diego one? Yeah. Well. Yes, a lot of people got beaten up, and it was it was a lot of times it was security, and there would be things like they didn't like you, they'd beat you up, and they'd be like, "Well, we can do that because we're security, and you were causing problems or whatever." You know, it was, it, but but that's that was like the San Diego scene. Yeah. So Rick Rick is from that scene, which is which he is, beats uh, people up all the time, all time. Really. indiscriminately, just well, beating people up. He intimidates the rest of the guys in the band. It's really <laughs> <laughs> the last time he shaved his head, it was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> we have to like pay him on tour and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, uh, he actually, I think he and uh, John Reese were instrumental in trying to change that reputation and trying to do things to create a new uh, atmosphere, one that was not so violent. Because really, San Diego ba- bands would go to San Diego and literally get beaten up on stage by the audience. Yeah, yeah that didn't sound fun. No, I saw Jay Hu at Twisters in Richmond. Oh wow, I remember yeah. Twisters. Yeah, what a shithole. I, I, so there wasn't a lot of Bathroom violence was, was in D.C. at that time. My, my only no. like experience with that scene, really like seeing it, is like from like another state of mind or something, mm-hmm. which I know is pretty old. I yeah, I think was, D.C. was pretty was pretty calm. I mean, in the beginning, there were a lot, there was a lot of fighting, and there was definitely some particular people in the D.C. scene that liked to cause trouble. But D.C. got really like pacifist pretty early on. Um, yeah, I definitely remember. I mean. Well, the first shows that I went to in like uh, 84, 85, those were somewhat violent, but that was more, that was the skinheads again. It was just like, it was a weird skinhead scene. The most bizarre one for me still was uh, Lefty, mm-hmm. who was a, an African-American woman who I think is a odd choice to be a, a skinhead. It seems to be, I don't know. I think if you're an African-American woman and to be a skinhead, is it, there's some sort of interior battle going on that must be pretty rough. What were some but of she your... Was tough. No, she do was tough. Do not mess with Lefty. No. She would carry an eight ball in, her so- in a sock. That was her weapon of choice. Wow. Okay. Had to be an eight ball, couldn't be a cue ball or anything else. You know, I guess, yeah, I don't know. That, that's, yeah. What were some of your first shows? Like, were you seeing like Teen Idols and stuff like that? No, that was stuff it? was before me. Uh, the first show that I, the first like real show that I saw was uh, Circle Jerk, COC, uh, Marginal Man, and Madhouse. And that was this place called the Wilson Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first, yeah, and I think after that, I saw like Husker Du on maybe it was like the New Day Rising tour. That was like the first really like, super visceral show that i saw that uh 
You know, I was like, wow, I got to do that. Where'd they play? <laughs> uh, that was the old 930 Club. And actually, the bass player was wearing a Meat Puppets shirt, and I like ran to the record store the next day and bought Meat Puppets too, you know. Because, you know, that, that I, I don't know. I, I assume if you're 15 and you're seeing bands now still, like if somebody in the band is wearing a shirt with a something on it, you're like, what is that? I want to figure that out. That's how I discovered half the band. Yeah, exactly. Or, exactly. Yeah. So. Are you from, you're from D.C. right in the – you're from – you can le- legitimately say you're from D.C. Yeah. Okay. I can right. legitimately say I'm from Northern Virginia. Where? <laughs> uh, Virginia. Yeah, I grew up in Burke, Virginia. Some of the I first shows – I grew up in Springfield. Really? Some yeah. of the first shows we ever played, uh, So Rob put on in Burke, Virginia. I was a promoter. Yep. Yeah. Which is <laughs> great. We played with uh, Mission Impossible and Kids for Cash. Yeah. Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible of Dave Grohl fame. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. And, uh, it was fun. Those shows yeah. were great. And and the video, we had a video of, of that show, of some of those shows, and old DC Space shows, and that video camera was So Rob's mom's <laughs> video camera. So if you see any video from those days, it's So Rob's camera that yeah. took it. Yeah. Wow. Well, the, the, I was in this band called Kids for Cash, and uh, we didn't know how to get a show. Like, we just didn't, I mean, I didn't even know what. In fact, when we were going to play with his old band, Lunchmate, I remember getting a cassette of their demo, and we listened to it in the car, you know, driving around. I was like, oh, man, these guys are so good. It's like, they have a tape. It's <laughs> a, <tape>. a studio <laughs> and made a tape, yeah. man. And it was a demo, man. It was a demo yeah. tape. Uh, and, and it uh, wasn't even an inner ear. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was a it black pond. Black pond, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we, we literally had, I mean, we just didn't, you know, like we bought records, but we didn't know how you make a record or get, get a show or whatever. So, uh, and the idea of, I think I cold called 930 Club or DC Space, and I was like, you know, hi. I like to, you know, they're like, I think I got hung up on or whatever. And so, you know, you know, and I kind of like moped over to my mom I was like, you know, I want to do a show, you know? And so she was like, yeah, you know, there's a community center. We should just run the community center and do the show there. And so, yeah, so it was, it was pretty great. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Lake Braddock. Oh shit. Yeah. I went to West Springfield. So Kathy Flynn. I don't know. Yes, sure. Why not? Tony for fun. Yeah, oh, yeah. Really close. Really tight. That one. The, the one. I, that's where Remember the, the herpes day? started. Remember the band, the fifth day. What? The fifth day. No. No, they were oh. like a hardcore band from Springfield. How long did you do shows at the community center? Um, two years, maybe. The biggest coup is we got seven seconds. That was like the. That was the, nice. the moment. Yeah, and actually, it was pretty great because. The shows were so early. I mean, they were like still Six light out. Like <laughs> yeah, and so. Kids for Cash, the band that I was in played, our friend's band, Team Wadi, played. And then Seven Seconds played, and it was literally like 7.30 at night at this point. And uh, Seven Seconds were like, well, you guys should just play again. <laughs> so we did. We basically just did the whole show twice. <laughs> With so. them right in the middle? Or, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> That's a seven-second sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> He just reversed it. <laughs> right, right. And now we will go back in time for the yes, benefit exactly. of you on acid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was cool. And I definitely, you know, uh, that's one thing that I thought was really nice about growing up in, D- growing up in D.C. is that uh, there was definitely a sense of, you know, the importance of doing things for yourself and for, you know, your friend. You know, there, there was no sort of uh, expectation of... Uh, there's no making it, <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. you want to show, put on a show yourself. You want to do, you know, and, uh, and I think it was a nice thing to, to learn pretty young. Did you play a lot of positive four shows? We mm-hmm. going to those. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah we uh, played a lot of those. Yeah. Did, uh, what, what are your thoughts in the book, the dance of days book? Do you think it's accurate or, um, you know, I think, I think Mark Anderson is a really lovely 
person. And I think that he has a very particular take on that uh, scene at that time. Um, I think it's very accurate from his point of view. And I think that there are other points of view. That was the first time I ever read a book and I went, I was there. There were like 20 people there. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that, you know, that's not to, to, to in any way put down. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. it's a cool book, but, uh, you know, the any, photos any, are amazing. In that yeah, book. yeah. 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 But I think any, any, uh, any history of any popular culture, no matter how small it is, you know, it's, it's, a. Uh, it's just the perspective is never going to encompass, you know, the whole vision. Well, it's going to be editorial because it's one person, yeah, so yeah. you can't you can't help that. Yeah, but yeah. it's neat that that kind of tone was put together. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the whole DC thing seems to really irritate Rick, though, which is funny. He's like, <laughs> yeah. is this is there any aspect of the scene that hasn't been documented? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like another book about it. Another, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird because if you grow up in Northern Virginia or DC, like I, I remember learning about New York bands like albums later. You know, I was like, like, who is this sick of it all? Like, it's, you know, great band, many records, but like you get so ensconced in, in that world. And then you have, then it's all discord. Like, no, there's other bands and there's other places and there's other, and then all of a sudden you have discord bands that sound like discord bands. And I was like, okay, I think we've reached saturation. (laughs) Uh, Right. No offense to any of those bands. Yes, baby. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, uh, Yeah. For me, growing up, it was great to 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 have Discord right there and to be able to to see those bands. You know, I mean, it really it it definitely changed my outlook. And you know, Mark Anderson and Positive Force doing those shows. You know, no matter how you can criticize for for a number of reasons, like the fact that they existed and what that meant to a fifteen year old kid like me at the time was truly uh, like a very informative and powerful thing and uh you know it also fascinates me about how uh all all my friends who were insanely cooler than me could figure out where the fugazi show was and yet i would be staying in a park by myself not knowing where the hell i was supposed to be (laughs) with no cell phone no way to touch anyone i would just go home really like dude it was up the street i'm like fuck dude reno (laughs) yeah i remember i was standing in lafayette park for like mm, you know, like a half hour once, like, this is dumb <laughs> going home. <laughs> I'm going to go to Olsen's, buy some records. Let me learn. We, we used to, we would be on tour in Europe all the time and, and they'd always, or, or in the U S so they always like, no one would come and be like, Oh, it's just, it's a school night. You know how it is. The school just started. People are in school or, Oh yeah, it's a, it's a holiday. People, people go away. You know, it was like, whatever the thing is. And it's like, it was always be like, Oh, you know, Fugazi is playing a free show across the street. And like, right, right. Free show, right? <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> People don't realize how often that happened. <laughs> no effects is right up the street playing. Like, oh, right. Okay. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think those kind of values, like the DIY, that kind of community stuff, is something you applied to your life kind of outside of music as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, indirectly, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that. Uh, I think the, the way that that informed me, it did so at like a pretty core level. And so I, I definitely think that it, uh, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> someone's Ooh, buzzing. That's oh, that's funny. me. I'm, I think my phone's playing the conga. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amplify that stuff. I was like, that's the loudest vibrating phone I've ever heard in my life. It's on the conga. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I definitely feel like it, it informs my, my outlook now, you know. 
I work at a food co-op. Well, now that the government <laughs> shut down, it's DIY everybody. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I guess so, huh? That's D- DC for real. Yeah. yeah. Well, the punks are like, we've been doing this forever. I think it's fascinating for, uh, we've had uh, Lyle Pressler on the podcast okay. a couple of times. And, you know, that, his era ended, you know, Minor Threat was like 83. And then he did bands afterwards and then, you know, started his whole new thing. And you seem to be right, you know, you were going to shows right in the middle. You yeah. know, that, that, yeah. that, that, yeah. that Wait, fun coveted point of seeing uh, embrace and not faith. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was bummed. I found out about the last Faith show, but I, there's no way I could get. There. Actually, I have a like a school entry, uh, like you know, Dear Journal. Uh, <laughs> I was like, my mom won't let me go see Minor Threat. Blah blah blah. You know, <laughs> and it's just like a whole thing. I was like, so she just doesn't understand. I mean, it's like total classic <laughs> stuff. You know, it's like you couldn't have made a more generic outcry. <laughs> and then my teacher's like, she'll get it. Just you know, like her little comment on the side. Sometimes it takes a while to convince parents. You know. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that. I mean, I'd like to believe that that was my first punk rock show. Was the Faith? Really? Yeah. I I, I don't know because I don't remember who played, but it it was at the Chancery, and I oh, swear man. that Mike Mike uh, Hampton was there. I bet. So, uh, which would have been really cool. It was a great show. Oh, I just man. can't remember who. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, what was the st- what was the point of that? Oh no, no. He asked <laughs> a while ago what your first show was. Your first hardcore show. Oh yeah. I think it was. That. I guess it, w- it would have been a different answer if it wasn't for your mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I know you were saying like. So we were in. So Lyle's sort of done in '83. We yeah. sort of started up in '85. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So we were like the next, or like next breed of of little discorders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The discord. That's pretty funny. Discord. Apparently, uh, Dag Nasty started because uh, Brian saw us at the at Chevy Chase Community Center. Really. I was like, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Oh, he was just right. <laughs> <It's> right. <laughs> and better. <laughs> we were, uh, we were uh, Jonah used to write the show that, that uh, we did uh, this video show and we were out covering the Warp Tour and we were writing on Bad Religion to come and it was going to be everybody, including Brett. But Brian showed up first and we we're already rolling and I went, all right, you want to do a Dag Nasty interview? He went, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> It's <laughs> so, like, although I don't agree with him politically, Dave Smalley was a great vocalist for the time. I saw the great, it was my favorite thing was seeing Dag Nasty at 930 Club and, and they, they were doing the, um, Oh, I was walking down the street. I was walking down the street. You were walking when we, we didn't say one word and he was doing it with a puppet, you know, cause it was, uh, the peak corner, the peak corner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was making fun of, of, anyway, he was being a dick and he was like, you know, he's like, and he's like, he's like, oh, here, uh, so we're in DC. Like, where's Ian? You know, and Ian's like, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> so Ian was always at the shows. He was like, everyone was like, <laughs> busted. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh man. Now when not uh, obviously you guys are now New York natives. When did you vacate the uh, Greater DC metropolitan area? Uh, you left before I did. I left in 1990. Uh, I was in Soulside and we just finished our European tour and, uh, we were all completely brain dead at that point. And Scott, our, uh, guitar player had moved up here to go to school and he's like, Hey man, you should come up here. So I did. And I left DC thinking that I would return very shortly and I never went back. Never went back. No, never go back. (laughs) (laughs) You say Soulside, my brain goes, I think I saw them. I'm not sure. Probably if you grew up in Springfield. Yeah. Yeah, we, we played a lot. A bit. Wow. So you've been up here since 90. Damn. Yeah. Wow. So Back when this this area was a good place to invest in. <laughs> <laughs> and you own a lot of real estate here now. Yeah. Parking, parking lots. Parking Actually, lots. when we uh, uh, when we were, were 
doing pretty well with Girls Against Boys. Scott, Scott always has these very funny ideas. He was like, man, we should just buy parking lots. Just take, forget recording, just save up all our money and buy parking lots. And we're like, ah, it's really funny. Now that was a brilliant idea. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> oh, you can do get a parking lot or buy a cab medallion license. Yeah. And then run out the cab, you're fine. Yeah. Now, whatever happened to that band? Cabs. Cabs. Cabs, cabs and parking lots, man. <laughs> I remember the, the, there was a parking lot where Whole Foods is on, on Houston, 2nd Avenue. There was a huge oh, yeah, that lot. Was massive, and it was yeah. for sale. Oh, man. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the smart thing would be the airspace rights. That sneaky little loophole. Yeah. yeah. God, what does that mean? So it's a space above the building. Certain areas of New York, you can't build above seven floors, like in the East Village. But you can buy the airspace, which goes to the moon. Um, actually, it goes to where the space ends, uh, the air. And you can take that and buy it and then stack it onto the building next to it and then build up higher than seven floors. That's why there's really? some... yeah. So it's a New York it's, it, it's completely yeah. and utterly yeah. insane. So who, owns, no who owns the air, like air rights? Yeah. <laughs> like, who, like, who are you selling? Like, like I, so I, so we own our house and well, the bank owns it. I own the air rights to his <laughs> house. And, and, yeah, and I sold the air rights to Sharab <laughs> and he's building above it a Burger King, which I don't know how it's going to work, but it's it belongs to him. Floating Burger King. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. And then you just stack them up. That's why, you know, you go down to the Lower East Side and it's like, what's this giant blue monstrosity? Right. And that's the airspace yeah. rights. That makes no sense. None. That makes no sense. That's amazing. Yeah, but it, they do a lot in the West Village too. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. There's it's some more, crazy building in my neighborhood. It's like this really hideous brand new building. And then there's this old, uh, you know, red, five-story red brick building. And then the building has about 15 feet of air above it. And then the building just loops out over the building and goes up another 30 stories or something. It's really weird looking, but... We're only going to sell you 10 feet of the airspace rights above, and then yeah. you can have the rest. Okay. I can just imagine that conversation. You can't build there. Oh, well, you own 15 feet of that, but we own the rest of it. <laughs> what? <laughs> then we're building a pool. <laughs> building a roller coaster above your house. <laughs> Deal with it. Now, when did you, did you come out? Uh, 97. I was actually born here. So okay. as a little kid, I lived here. Uh, my parents both went to school here, so I used to live, live up at 122nd between Broadway and Amsterdam. Um, and uh, then I moved back in 97 as, a, as a, an actual adult. And it was with the bands that brought you here? Was it the bands are? We're, everybody from the band is here? Or had you gotten to that point of, ah, the band members can live wherever? Well, actually, that uh, with the, the old band that I was in, Edsel, that was, we tried that and it was a failed experiment because I, uh, I had actually moved to Chicago for a year because we were touring a bunch and... I just thought, like, you know, if we're touring, what's the big deal? You know, like, I can be here, and those guys can be in D.C., and, and Jeff, our bass player, it was already living in New York, so it seemed like, you know, why not? And I moved to Chicago, and immediately we stopped doing anything. <laughs> you know, just the logistics of it were too complicated, you know? And uh, so then I ended up moving here. And I got to say, at first, I really I had no idea how people were in bands in New York. Like, it seemed like you were either in, like, Sonic Youth or... I was like, where do you practice? How does that work? <laughs> you know, like it just seemed really, uh, I didn't get it. And like rent is so much in New York. You know, I was like, how do you afford your rent? And then a practice space. And it just seemed really, really complicated. It's funny to be on the other side now, having lived here for so long. Like you have a garage I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and a basement, a basement? <laughs> and you can just practice. And yeah. Where do you park your car? In front of your house? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Car? Do you have, have, to, a do you have to move it on Tuesdays and Fridays? <laughs> Oh, how does that work? Where do you wash your clothes? I do. Yeah. I, in your house? <laughs> Unheard of. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to get all clothes I can wash in my sink. Yeah, yeah. I got that weird shirt. I got the underwear. <laughs> you got the shirt and the underwear. It's nice. 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 Yeah, yeah. What yeah. else do you need? Now, do you have uh, drums just in studios all around New York so you don't have to carry them? Um, I have actually I have two drum sets now, which is pretty funny. I used yeah. to have a drum set. This was most ridiculous. I had a drum set in somebody's garage in L.A. and a drum set here. <laughs> and the people in L.A. I was like, dude, seriously, get this thing out of my garage. I'm like, it's soon. <laughs> Only a year later, I got it. <laughs> um, I was missing some pieces, but whatever. I got it. Um, yeah, no, I, I just have I have two, which is kind of funny. Yeah. The in- international symbols. And international symbols. Yeah, I have some symbols in Prague right now. <gasps> yeah, they're time. sitting in a curious <laughs> cafe right now. Aww, <laughs> that's lovely. Are, is everyone in the obits here? In this yes. room? In, 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 <laughs> <they're> not, <laughs> yes. Rick, Rick, why are you being so quiet? Shut up. Is he, is he in here? Yeah. <laughs> no, all the, all the obits are in uh, yeah. Brooklyn? Yeah. So fact, that makes sense. So at that point, you're like, we all have to be in the same dim spot. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, uh, sorry, there was a kind of a, a leap there, but uh, w- yeah, when I first moved here, and actually, I moved here as I said in '97. I met Rick around that time, and uh, you know, he, he, I think right at that point, he was starting to do Hot Snakes, and uh, that you know, they obviously they weren't practicing in New York because it was a bi coastal band, uh, and so I still never really, I didn't know anybody who was actively in a band, you know, and uh, the idea of like putting your guitar in a cab just seemed really like, I don't know, bourgeois or something. I don't know, just strange. And uh, anyway, fast forward. And uh, when we started Obits, Rick knew Scott, our first drummer. And Scott was friends with some people at a practice space. So it was like, you know, the little light bulb went on or whatever. And I was like, oh, practice spaces. You know, um, and was it just you had met, you know, just in scenes throughout and decided, hey, let's try this, or you had been noodling around before or had songs? Alexis and I have known each other since we were 15, so circa lunch meet and Kids for Cash. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we really, we, we've known each other for a long, long time. Uh, and Greg, our bass player, was both the boss of Alexis he and me. He was my boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we met at a, we met at a, a uh, design studio in Soho and... Uh, yeah, he was like the art director guy and we were the, you know, the, you know, is this good enough guy? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, and then Rick, I'd I mean, be like, do Rick. this, by the way, do you know any good bands around? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't play bass, dude. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, actually, no, what Greg and I, when he, you know, we were working together, we were just talking about music all day. And then, you know, I said it was a bass player. And at that point, Rick and our first drummer, Scott and I had been playing for a little bit and with our friend Elliot, but Elliot didn't want to play bass. So we had three guitars, which is kind of like the Molly Hatchet era of the band. And, uh, it was a little thick. <laughs> so, and Elliot was like, you know, I don't really, this, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't really want to play bass and three guitars seems like a little much. So he stopped playing. And then, uh, I just asked, you know, I said to Rick, I was like, you know, this guy that I, I work with, AKA my boss, you know, is, uh, he's a really cool guy. He plays bass. Do you want to give it a shot? I mean, it might be weird if we say, <laughs> No, because then I have to go back in, you know. Uh, Good morning. Yeah. Hey, man. Uh, How was your weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Say. Uh, but, you know, and I said to Greg, and he's such an easygoing guy. I was like, hey, man, you know, do you want to come do this? If it doesn't work out, like, please don't be weird about this, you know. And he's like, no, it's fine. And uh, he came and played and immediately we we're like, oh, you know. Because the way he plays is really different from most like modern rock bass players. He plays in a much more, uh, 
old-fashioned way you know i mean it's, it's much more like the way you'd see a bass player in like a 60s band you know like it's really like r&b informed it's really like does he use a pick he doesn't really use he a, does he does but he plays with flat wound strings and he you know like his you know it's like seeing the bass player in the Yardbirds or in like uh you know the mgs or something like that i mean he has a really like a very particular way it's really melodic and and uh it's not like the the punk like follow the guitar chord kind of way and that was really exciting so we we're like yeah let's you know let's definitely do this so and alexis you were just waiting for the other drummer to leave <laughs> Right. Right. Uh, now, this is my second uh, second fill in. I'm also uh, I, I play in this band called Bellini, and uh, oh, yeah. their drummer had a sort of famous meltdown. Oh, is this split. the Italian band? Yeah, that was on Temporary Residence. Yeah, yes. And their drummer was Damon Che, and he split, left them in the lurch, and they called me, and they're like, "Hey, can you play with us? Uh, our next show is uh, tomorrow night." I'm like, "Sure." Yeah, he like left after a show or something. In the middle of the show. Yeah, they were playing a show in Athens, uh, in Georgia. And I think halfway through the song set, he just left. And they were sort of like, hmm, that's weird. And then and then he packed up all his stuff and left. It was all of his uh, equipment and his van. Oh, really? So he just left. And they were like, <laughs> uh, so I guess we're here in Athens and we <laughs> need to get to New York. That show with Shellac. So they were like, if we could just play the show with Shellac then we will be happy and we could go home and nurse our wounds and everything. So, so that must be awesome for you. The bar must be set so low. Like as long as you don't like ditch them and take pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like if you can, if you can just smile through the song, that's really all. It, it, How are you? It's yeah. sticking around after the encore. <laughs> wow. It turns out I like to sell sell shirts too. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. And you're still with them. Yeah. Still with them. Oh, crazy. Yeah. He plays in four bands. And and internationally, that's a tough thing to do because they live in Sicily and uh, Matthew, the bass player, lives in, in Dallas. So for us to, to do anything is very, very complicated. So just all Skype? Like, how the fuck do you guys do that? We basically plan something. We go over and we practice about 12 hours a day uh, for like a week or maybe three days if we're, you know, if we're pressed for time and then we tour and then that's it. I don't know if you've, if you've heard Bellini. It's pretty complicated music. Yes. It's cool. It's really cool. And actually the thing that I think is cool is that Alexis manages to find drum beats that make it sound less crazy than what it is. I mean, if you start counting it, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. One, two, 13, one, two, seven, three. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, a uh, it's, it's, they're really cool people. And it's really, we just did a new record. If it ever comes out, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> is Temperez putting it out? Yeah. Oh, if, nice. if they ever get the final version of it Jer- jeremy's <laughs> gonna like, come on here. My record? i know he listens to this but i told jeremy he has to come on yeah he should he's yeah. he's great he's a really super cool guy also you hear that jeremy you're super cool <laughs> jeremy, you're, you're so cool <laughs> alfie anna you guys are all also cool. yeah 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 the trifecta <laughs> i think ago from bellini is a really interesting guitar player though he, he, i mean to say that the music is complicated actually isn't really fair he he writes these riffs that are just that's kind of the way the riff goes it just happens to be in what would be considered odd meter (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. that's like that's really cool that that always fascinates me is you know when you're listening to a song and you know you're so used to straight up heartbeat you know four four and then like but this is different but i dig it and you're again you're not rushed you're not making it sound like four four because you can do that but that's what i actually thought was really disappointing with dance music for me is I, i thought like if there's a 
a kick on every beat. It gives you so much freedom. There's you're not restricted by four four. Or like and verse, yet, chorus, verse, chorus. Yeah, there's, and, and yet it's just so predictable that music. I mean, you can really, you can guess every chain that's coming. And I, I don't, I never understood that. I just thought, like, man, here's a great opportunity to be so free. You can do so much cool stuff, and you're just like tied to. But I'm sure that, that people who are into the music would disagree with you. Yes, and, yes. And, but it's and like, also the music that you hear on the radio is very, very different from from like a lot of dance music. That's true. That's that but they always bleed organ. it in. <laughs> That's the thing that bothers me about about the what they now call EDM, which we call techno, because um, <laughs> we're older. Uh, is that you know I I had to work uh, uh, an electronic music festival a little while ago, and we we're talking to fans and like, yeah, this was great, and they bled in that Mumford and Sons track, and that was no. amazing. And I'm like, but here's the thing: like you're you get excited when they sneak in like something else that's familiar or popular. And then everything comes in waves and you know when the crest is going to be. It's like, it's weird. It's like the, um, it's like surfing. You're just paddling and waiting and then getting that one moment. And then you go back down again and the drugs help you realize that yeah. it's all one wave. You know? if it's flat, you become a skinhead. Move to San Diego. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Now, I remember seeing a Fatboy Slim DJ and uh, at one point he just played a Led Zeppelin song. And I thought, well, that's cool. But it's also, I was like, this is just so weird. This is just like, he's just playing a Led Zeppelin song. Like, I love this song. Can we hear more Led Zeppelin songs? But like songs? people went nuts. They totally, you know, they flipped out. And I was like, so what? You just put on a Led Zeppelin record, like really loud? Okay, I get it. But it just didn't seem, I just thought like, well, what's so, what is this guy doing? What's so special? What is he bringing? Except for, I guess he knows the time to play the Led Zeppelin song. I mean, what's the... It's, it's, yeah. I went to see Dave Holmes spin once and I was a big fan of his. The guy did the... He did all the music for the Ocean's Soundtrack, Eleven right? movies, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they're great. He has a couple of um, this really different sounding albums, and one is he like the story is he dropped acid and walked around New York with a recorder and just taped people, and then he built songs around it, and they're really really good. And I was like, well, I'll go see him DJ. That'll be interesting. And he, all he did was play a bunch of Public Enemy tunes, which is fine. I enjoy that, but not for that cover charge, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. There, there, I mean, I have, there are a couple people that I've seen that I thought were pretty neat. Uh, who's that? There's that Brazilian guy who I'm totally spacing on his name. Um, but he, he he had an interesting setup. It was three turntables and then a bunch of like rack units. And so he was actually, he truly was manipulating sound as you were watching him. And that was that was a pretty exciting moment. Or uh, Mouse on Mars, I thought were really cool too. Because they were actually, again, it was a really physical experience. It wasn't just like somebody pushing play or somebody. I mean, I sort of feel like a lot of DJing is like creating a playlist for the night, which is... Granted, I think that's a, a skill, but I don't get the going crazy part of it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Well, that's why there's a bar. <laughs> what's, what's that? That's why there's a bar. Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We had yeah. on, we had on, um, as a guest, uh, JD from um, Salinger. Men. Yeah, JD Salinger <laughs> was on um, uh, posthumously. Yeah. That's how good Jonah is at getting he guests. Came to talk about his new movie yeah. <laughs> yeah. and his books that are getting released, and I'm sure he's thrilled about. Yeah. But that you know, a lot of DJs now will just take a you know USB a flash drive and show yeah. up and plug yeah. it into their system. And essentially, I, I spent a good chunk of time listening to that kind of music and following it around. There's a good scene of that in DC, you know. Yeah. And at the front of it was like Bob Mould. Oh right, you know? yeah. We do a lot of that, which is fascinating to go back and forth. Yeah, in that world. I, I mean, I think the the idea of of playing music to, you know, to like have a fun night out and like you know, like uh, Jonathan Tubin or something like that. Like, I think that's a 
he's a talented DJ in the sense that I think he knows how to create a really cool atmosphere and people dance and have a really good time. And I think that's really, really great. It's the sort of the, the other level of like marquee DJ thing where it's like, I don't, like I would, I would argue that Jonathan Tubin wouldn't suggest that he's doing anything other than exactly what he's doing and it, he's really good at it. But I sort of feel like there's this other world of electronic music where it's just, uh, it, it's trying to be live music and it's just not live music. It should somehow, I don't know what I'm complaining about. <laughs> we went and saw the, you know, the band Justice or just Justice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I really like just their, ice. really like their first, their first record and maybe their second. I think it's the same. Maybe. Anyway. Um, uh, but I went to see them. Like I, I thought they were really cool and I was sort of fascinated with their whole cross, uh, um, iconography thing. I was like, is that tongue in cheek or are they seriously like that? And then we went to see, we were playing at Primavera in, in Barcelona and we went to see them and uh, it was totally insane. Like they come out and it's really an incredible spectacle. It's like this light show that it's beyond light shows, you know, and then they have this massive, you know, 20 foot high, high cross that just beams out across the, the audience and everybody's hands are up and it's like the church of, of justice and everything. And, and Rick had no idea who they were. And he, he walks up and he's like, what the fuck is this? I was like, it's, it's justice. He was like, what is, what is, seriously, what is this? You know? And I was like, and then, then at that moment I stepped back and I was like, seriously, what is this? Like these two guys were up there probably playing a CD or a dad or something like that. And you can't see what they're doing. They were, they were just like pouring drinks for each other. Yeah. And they're just, they're like hands up in the air and everyone's going crazy. And you're like, what is, this is not, this is something totally different. This is a totally different sort of entertainment. But for Rick, it was like walking into some crazy like revival tent or something, which I had to agree with him. It didn't <laughs> yeah. look like that. Yeah, yeah the yeah. the whole electronic music scene and um, jam bands—it's the same shit. You know? Is it? I, I don't actually know what jam bands sound like. That's one of those things I don't really. What is it? Is it their guitars? It's their, just a lot of guitar solos. Who I needs think. song they structure? Go on forever. But it's not jazz. It's not. No. 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 This would be like a like a like fish or but I don't know, Grateful Dead kind like? of jam thing. See, I don't think Grateful Dead are jammy. I think that Grateful Dead have actual songs. I mean, yeah, but they, they would wouldn't jam play on in that parts for what's that? They would they would like you know it's like you hit the solo and just go on like here, give me ten more bars, and the drummer won't change and I stay mean, in the pocket the whole time. I feel like you know who got the jam band community got really into the Mars Volta. I felt like really sort of towards the end, yeah, because they were sort of turned. I mean, like they would just kind of just play five songs for two hours or something really yeah last time i went to see them i was like i'm done like three people passed out like and i was just like wow. nope like this is not the kind of community i want to be was in. it just like a f- like free music or i don't mean music no, wants to be free i mean made, no i mean, like- I mean like they definitely have songs but like the songs are just super long and kind of huh. t- it was it wasn't a good to me like their first record that they disowned was so great and then everything else is kind of like yeah I don't, I don't know their music at all but it's pretty in- insane yeah. it's pretty insane yeah, it's cool. pretty yeah. Good players too. Like everybody yeah. in it can really, really play. I really, really miss John Theodore being in that band. Though mm-hmm. that dude, good drummer. Yeah, good drummers are key. Wouldn't you agree, Lex? Uh, totally. <laughs> I mean, you can't have a good band without a good drummer. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and that that just drummer line. A band is only as good as its drummer. You know. Or Paul, uh, uh, was it John Lennon? Our best. Paul is the best drummer in the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's true. <laughs> Um, when I first heard the obits, it was, you know, when you hear who was in the band and, you know, then you hear the sound, it seemed like almost the antithesis to what I had in my head of what it was going to sound like. 
What were we, we expecting? Um, well, someone dance music. Uh, yeah. Seriously, just so Fair much, enough. so much EDM. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I haven't seen Jay Hewitt being a big Hot Snakes fan, and I just I expected more. Um, for lack of a better word, you know, noise with the guitars. And Sorry. The, and the first time, no, and, which is fine. And the first I heard it, the the description I got in my head was, uh, oh, it sounds like Credence. And I really <laughs> dug it and, and, like Credence. and still dig it, you know? And so I wonder that with all the bands that you have all been involved in, um, how you came up, how you came up with the sound for Obits, was it completely organic or was it, uh, let's do something we haven't really done. Uh, I mean, it just came from the way that we play. It was it was not a conscious thing at all. It was a, in fact, it took us. We probably were in that practice room for maybe eight months before we played our first show, and I was just trying to figure out what the sound was, or you know how how to write music together. Because um, I had known Rick for a while, but we had never actually played music together. So, you know, and to answer your previous question, I think Hot Snakes were a great band. Uh, Dry like Jehu, I could not name you a tune. Uh, Pitchfork, I've never heard. So, you know, Rick's an awesome guy. I think his art is totally amazing. Um, but I think of him in the present tense, not in like a, like I didn't, I, w- I wasn't personally like stoked to play with the dude from Jehu. <laughs> that, that was, that was not a, uh, to me it was the, this, a really interesting guitar player and a guy with a great voice. And, uh, it was really, the challenge was to try to figure out how, if it was going to work, how, how to play guitar with this guy. And uh, it was really cool. I mean, it was really fun to just sort of figure out. He's a, you know, he's a really sympathetic player. He, he finds stuff in, you know, whether it's the drums, the bass, or, you know, the other guitar, he finds things that appeal to his aesthetic. And then he helps kind of say like, all right, you like choose that one part, do that. I'm going to change the thing that I'm doing to work around that. And he's, it's really uh, that the sound kind of grew out of, uh, just playing together, really. That's it. Had you guys played together, having known each other for so long? Well, no, no not really. No, probably I good never, for the played friendship. With Edsel. Yeah, you did play with Edsel. Yeah. <laughs> really? really, we did a South by Southwest show <laughs> yeah. with Edsel and yeah. uh, and a show here. Yeah, we played in anywhere else. No, I met someone else from Edsel who is engineering. Jeff. Here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually he has either recorded or mixed all of our records. Oh, all the nice. Obit stuff, yeah, yeah. And Eli, who is in Girls Against Boys with Alexis, has worked on all the records too. And I just did a song with Jeff for the new uh, Salad Days documentary. You did? No yeah. way. We just recorded on Friday night. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, that's with great. Uh, Scott Crawford, who's doing the movie, wrote a song, and so I just about played the studio. On it. It, it went about the Salad Days studio. No, the the uh, Salad Days is the name of this documentary that's coming out about the DC. Oh, just about DC. Okay, I was like. Another one? Another it, one? It's not been Rick must be so excited about yeah. that. Yeah, he really he totally. can't stop talking about it. Oh, I can't wait that comes out. <laughs> what haven't they mined? Yeah. What will we learn about bad brains this time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you when you join Obits, is Obits the kind of band that's like uh drums have to be like this, or did you have room to, you know, add your own spin on it, or is that not something you would want to do? They're total fascists. <laughs> Son of a, always, right? Guitar yeah. players. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, when I, well, my concern with the band is that I really like the band. I really like the way the, the stuff goes. And I don't play, you know, Scott and I are very different drummers. We're not very different. We're, we're different people. So we obviously we're going to have like slightly different styles. So 
it was important to me to figure out how to try to play the songs as as accurately as possible. And for me, I think it would be really weird, maybe not for them, but be weird to uh, have a new record come out that's just suddenly like sounds like it's totally right turn from the previous records. So for me, it was important to try to like play similar similarly, but similar 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 similar. Were we talking similar similar? Um, but uh, but also they they you know they they uh, have kind of specific ways that they like the songs to sound also. So they. It's, they, them, those people, Van Pattens, um, and so I want you know to to, to uh, try to make everyone happy. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually hard at first because there were there were certain songs in particular that uh, where the, the the rhythmic shuffle was very particular to Scott, and so I think there's a couple songs that even though when you listen to them they're not complicated songs, but it, it just had a certain thing, and I think just learning how to play outside of your whatever your natural instinct might be is not not an easy one so uh some of the songs that came right away and it was really cool and other ones we had to work on a little while longer but now it's nice because i feel like and i think the new record speaks to the fact that it's uh the dynamic is very much kind of what it's a very contemporary dialogue between the four musicians it's not it's not three guys and a friend who's trying to do what the other guy was doing you know it's uh and uh so it's it's cool to have a bunch of songs that we've actually written together. Um, even though I have to say at this point, the old songs feel as if Alexis was part of the writing process too. Cause they're how involved are the drums in the songwriting process? Very um, good question. 12%. Yeah. 11.67%. <laughs> wow. That's huge. Uh, no, I think they're, they're a big part of it. Cause I think they're, they're the rhythm. I mean, we're, we're definitely very focused on the rhythms of the songs. And so I think, uh, getting, Getting the right drum parts are, are crucial to how you you know how the song moves, and uh, so yeah, I think they're a big part of it. Sixty-five. I, I find that stuff fascinating. Like the you know the, the Steve Gad Paul Simon lawsuit for years about fifty ways. Like like the drum track oh, really? makes that song. You know, so they I had think, a lawsuit. Uh, yeah, I think he got yeah. a co-writing credit. I mean, really, yeah, which I think is deserved. You know, because yeah. that makes That's that definitely tune. very uh, memorable. Beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so if you look at like all those like beats, the drummer for James Brown that was sampled for everything, you know, still. I think that Procol Harum had a situation like that where they, the keyboard player didn't get any credit for that. Really? That song. They refer to it as a Procol Harum sitch. (laughs) But I think, so I think when they, when they play it, they, they play a different keyboard line on that song. Oh, really? That's really weird. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I had no idea about all that. I was just, I learned recently that even, you know, the, the flute part of down under you know there's like oh cu- yeah a couple of notes that were from an old like kids song or something and the guy sued him and one i think you know and that Folsom prison blues was was um he borrowed you know lines from another song huh and got you know there's all these weird but i feel like that stuff still happens like you're like some rapper gets sued like every week and it's like dude like well, how do you think you're gonna get away with this Especially now. Yes, post, exactly. Post Paul's Boutique. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'd like to say all of our songs are actually sick of it all songs. <laughs> <gasps> Lou, can you come in, please? <clears throat> yeah, you guys also taught me what Moody, Standard, and Poor was. I was reading a book about the financial industry, and I didn't. And I, th- I was like, oh, why did they mention the name of this Obits record in here? And then I was like, oh, wait, this is something else. That was, that was Rick's idea. I, I cracked up when he was like, what do you think of Moody, Standard, and Poor? And I was like, I think it's good. <laughs> um, 
Oh, yeah. so a follow-up, like how involved is the band in lyrics, or is that left up to Rick? Whoever's singing it is basically responsible ah. for the words. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's basically, that's basically the deal. That makes sense. That actually simplifies things. Yeah, it also, I mean, I just sort of feel like, you know, uh, if you're going to sing a song, it's much easier, unless you're singing a cover, which, you know, you try to give it your own voice anyway. But, you know, if you're if you're singing a song, you want it to, you want to kind of own the words, you know. Uh, Lyrics so. are, are tricky too because, uh, I mean, I, I think any instrument somebody plays, you know, people get sensitive in their tender place where if you're like, man, that guitar <laughs> line's kind of shitty, you know, and you're like, what? You know, but, <laughs> but I found with lyrics, you cannot talk about lyrics. You'd be like, well, you know, that part you're singing kind of is like pretty fucking weak, man. Because like, <laughs> lyrics are really a personal yeah, thing. Like you totally. can't, it's like, it's almost an impossible taboo subject to talk about it's funny i actually feel i agree 100 percent. i feel much less that way now as a middle-aged man uh like i you know the couple songs that i sing like I'll, I'll send rick the lyrics and i'll be like hey look at these is there anything that you know you think could use a little polishing or whatever uh and because i i do think that i mean when i was in edsel like i would guard the words you know like that when it came time to sing them in the studio, like literally I was so self-conscious. I didn't want, you know, it somehow, which is really weird. It's like you're singing these songs, like just the words are what they are, you know? But it's also, it's, a, it's so much easier to make fun of lyrics than it is to it make is, fun of it like is. Well, the I mean, way. It feels much more directly like yeah. about the person as opposed to like, because yeah. you're like from pouring out some yeah. inner thing you're thinking <laughs> yeah. of. You're like, well, I, I don't respect what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that crash somebody hit was so sarcastic. Yeah, exactly. Listen yeah. to me. <laughs> it doesn't really work does it? Yeah, no. yeah that is that is it, it you know no matter what you're writing a song about is deeply personal even if it's you know a concept song you know yeah or i mean I, and i think that if uh, to me a good singer is somebody that you believe you have a you know you're you there's no question that those words are coming from that person even if it's a cover a good cover the person makes you believe whatever if it's a narrative or a you know a, a statement of some kind and, you know, personal statement, I love you, whatever it is, like you want to believe the person. I mean, you know, it's like those soul ballads are effective because the singer makes you feel like that's the deal, you know, like your heart is broken, you know, it's a, it, it, yeah. And I think, I think for, for a band like us, it's just if, if for ourselves to feel satisfied, it has to feel like, you know, they're your words that they belong to you in that, in that moment. Do you find yourself trapped by, song length when you put them together like it seems that you know everyone we grew up with three and a half four minutes you know and it gets it gets ingrained and then you hear a song that's five and six and you're like my god what is this an aria you know <laughs> but i think i think most obit songs seem to be around about you know those time parameters i think that yeah i mean the on our first record some of the songs were a little bit longer and uh i think we were definitely just you know working with arrangements a little bit to try to see how we could um you know, create spaces for guitar interplay and stuff. Um, and then on the second record, I think we made a more conscious choice to really strip it down and to keep it as kind of tight as possible, like really make the framework much narrower. So those songs are, they're a lot more two minute and 15 second kind of songs on the second record. Uh, and with the new one, I don't think it was really one way or the other per se. I think it was just kind of trying to figure out what arrangements made the most sense for each particular song i think it just so happened that probably as you said growing up it's ingrained somehow that a song is about 
three minutes long. And I think also when you, you know, we've all written a lot of songs and, and, uh, you know, when you first start writing a song, you're like, this part's awesome. I should play this for eight minutes or something, <laughs> you know? And, you know, could, you could have a really good part, but I think you often, for me, I find that the, it's safer to err on the shorter side. Like if yeah. it's really good, it's better shorter. Right. You know, it's also coming up in the DC punk scene where it's like two minutes. What is this, a ballad? Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 How, how many songs do you have on the seven inch? 12? That's it? <laughs> <laughs> DRI had 22. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I always think, I always think like if you, you know, especially when I'm playing a song, like a lot of times I'll be like, this part's too long. Like it's definitely, we've been doing this for like, you know, whatever yeah. this, this, you know, you, you could just feel it. It's too long. And uh, I always think it's better to, if it's shorter than if it's longer. Unless it's like, you know, sometimes long stuff is, yeah. you need space to, to have something like settle Earthless right. or something but, like that. I yeah. mean, or like I can't imagine Earthless writing a two-minute song. I think you need two minutes just to like introduce like the first idea or something, you know. Uh, and I think, I mean, a lot of Krautrock is those songs are really long. And I think part of it is just sort of establishing the, whatever the mood is. And our band is just, it's not it's not like that. It's much more of a concise concise thing i mean you know we have our like jam out moments or whatever but they're not uh they're not like extended forays <laughs> extended forays is the next obits record yeah <laughs> right exactly yeah <laughs> followed up to extended mores <laughs> yes For the all electric eel covers <laughs> um yeah i think uh i mean to to go back to the dance music thing i, I think one of the things that is interesting about that kind of music is that for, for the live element, those shows are really long. Like, uh, I was looking at this friend of ours, Greg, isn't it? He's a DJ and, uh, I went to his SoundCloud page and he's got, you know, all of their mixes from their shows are up. So it's like literally a three or four hour long DJ mix. And I was like, holy crap, like three or four hours. And he's trying to create this like peaks and valleys of, uh, you know, a human experience <laughs> for, you know, for three or four hours. And I, the first, my first thought was like, I don't think I've played for three or four hours straight. Like after 45 minutes or an hour, like I'm kind of like, all right, that's about it, you know? Yeah. And same with seeing, seeing anything. I mean, I just, I feel totally taxed after that amount of time, you know? It's like, it's enough. It's just so you get saturated, you know? Whenever we go, we could play shows and people are like, okay, say, so how long is your set? We need to, you know, figure out set times. We're like, that's like an hour, hour yeah, 15 tops. minutes. Maybe yeah. they're like, Really? That's it? Like, does it really, do you really want to hear us more than that? <laughs> <laughs> but some people do. Boss. He yeah. likes to play for four hours. Yeah. God yeah. bless it, man. Yeah. yeah. And that, even that's an endurance trial. Yeah. After a while, or Prince, you know. Even yeah. bands that I love, it's at a certain point. It's like, I don't, I don't know. It's more, it's more like there's a, a sound and a mood. And it's like, after about 45 minutes or an hour, like I'm pretty good, you know. Ready to switch it up a little bit. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things about, you know, going to the Warp Tour back when, which was, I love seeing all these bands for a half hour. Yeah. yeah. Great. Three songs, yeah. check. Yeah. Enough. Boom. Off. Yeah. Thank you so much. That, <laughs> that was wonderful. I am now a fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Records bought. <laughs> cool. Right on. What do you think? Great. I think people need to hear more. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Any more stories about... <laughs> Let's do a four-hour podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now the extended remix. Yes. <laughs> it's not that they're so nice; it's that they're so consistently nice. So, Robin Alexis. Yeah, people that are good at stuff are usually nice. I've, isn't that nice? When you know, when everybody asks you, "Who's your worst interview?" You have someone in mind, but wouldn't you say that that's not the norm? 
Like most people are cool that you interview as a journalist. Yes. Yes. I would say most people are cool. Mm-hmm. Would you say most people have like their guard up, especially, but like you have to kind of break through? Yeah, I would say that too. I'm lucky. I feel like I get to interview a lot of people I kind of know already, but I do think that people generally have their guard up because they don't want to say something or get misquoted or get in trouble or get someone else in trouble. Well, also you don't want to like in the in the the awful term spoiler spoiler culture of you know, if you say something and then oh my god, then it that gets misquoted and there's a you know, or it, you know, especially in the nerd world, man, you say one wrong thing like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm a big fan of that show. Everyone's like, who's this one guy going to be? Is it going to be a Marvel character? Is it going to be this guy? And then all the speculation was correct. <laughs> yeah. So, But nothing was leaked. Like, nothing was spoiled. But then everyone was right. right. So it's like, what is that universal nerd mind of making that happen? That was pretty phenomenal. Um, what does that have to do with the Obits? Nothing. You just heard them talk. So, boom. Shabam. If yeah, you, you should go um, buy all their records. Yeah. How many do they have? Three? think so yeah. yeah and they're all awesome they are man it's so and and the thing that all those guys what they do every band they're in is different yeah which god takes some doing but distinctive yeah yeah you know like, it's them but it's something yeah everybody has a everything they do has a voice and has a a, a style to it which is yet again and now we're back to i just feel like i don't do anything i'm a giant failure <laughs> yep yeah, let Obits <laughs> crush you. <laughs> That's their next record. <laughs> With their niceness. <laughs> right the fuck on. Okay, if you like going off track, go to facebook.com slash going off track and you can send us an email. We will write you back. One of us, usually me, since I have the password, will do that. Uh, if you hit us up on Twitter at going off track, either myself or Jonah will respond to it. Uh, you can follow us all on the Twitter. You can read a myriad of things Jonah is writing for. Uh, mostly at the moment, noisy. Am I correct in that? Noisy right now, but yeah. I'm always switching it up. Yeah. It's like baseball with a keyboard. Yeah. Um, just check out my Twitter. I feel like that I try to post stuff on there mm-hmm. when I publish stuff, but not to like an annoying degree, like every single thing. Oh, and I that do. awesome web series you do with your sister, Sound Advice. Yes. Check out Sound Advice Hilarious. with Janessa Slater. Mm-hmm. Laugh out loud. It Janessa, is. man. I mean, if you have a band, she's, she keeps it real. Yeah, Janessa knows her stuff. I mean, sort of. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> sort of not at all. Yeah. I but hope, yeah. I, I hope things go well with Darrant. Darrant. That's a tricky one. Uh, the Janessa Darrant saga. Uh, who knows where that will go? <laughs> now I'm on guard. <laughs> <laughs> Comedy. Well, we think it's funny. If you don't, so be it. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.